Hello and welcome to This is Good for My Therapy. Sylvie and Sarah will be joining us shortly and we will be talking about the Denver Spider-Man. So what are we talking about today, Sylvie? Ooh, okay, okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay, guys. You ready for this? So, so I'm a preface this by saying it's definitely turned into more like I've written it out as a story. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much like a, you know, present facts and discuss. But that being said, I think still just interrupt me and interject because, you know, fun times. Um, so yeah, definitely more like a story and I'm a nerd and I've written it out and I don't know if I'm actually going to read it or if I'm going to go off on really weird tangents. You could probably um, try both, but we'll be here. Give it a go. It's no problem. I like yeah, the, cool. I like what you got. Okay, good. So guys, the story today, we are talking about the Denver Spider-Man. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good name. Good title. Got, got, got you hooked. Denver you do. Spider-Man. You really do. I <laughs> want to know why he's called that. There are so many reasons because Spider-Man is just coming in the shower sometimes. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> well, it's not that. Um, not that. I did sit there for like way longer than I want to admit last night to come up with some like clever, not that Spider-Man joke, but I decided I'm too good for that it's like low-hanging fruit i'm not gonna do it and it was definitely that's the reason not because i (laughs) couldn't come up with anything um but yes so denver spider-man um guys i'll be honest this one like you know me i'm pretty good with like spooky things and creepy things and like murder uh but this one the first time i heard it like severely creeped me out uh Ooh. like I it's it's very interesting but it like creeped me out like gives me the heebie-jeebies I don't like living alone creep out so mm. yeah so I'll just start it off here um <clears throat> so we'll set the stage it's Denver Colorado a quiet neighborhood in the north of the city it's the evening of October 17th 1941 and 73 year old Phil Peters is late for dinner with his neighbors So his wife, Helen, was in the hospital. She'd broken her hip in a fall a few weeks prior, and she was recovering. Phil was alone for the first time in 50 years since he married Helen they purchased their home. He wasn't adapting well to his solitude. There was a neighbor who felt bad for the old man and had insisted that he come over for dinners to share a hot meal, have some company, maybe bring some leftovers home for lunch while his wife was away. But that evening, Phil hadn't come over. As the dinner hour passed, his neighbors started to grow concerned. Maybe he wasn't a funk, given how poorly he'd been coping without Helen. Or maybe he was hurt. He was quite old, after all. And it wasn't outside the realm of possibility that, like his wife, he had taken a tumble and was in need of some help. It was with that thought in her mind that the neighbor headed over to check on Mr. Peters. When she arrived, the house was quiet. But all the lights were on, and she could see them through the windows. She knocked on the door. No answer. She tried to peer through the window, seeing if she could catch any movement, but saw nothing. She knocked again. Nothing. She tried the door, but it was locked. She was definitely worried now. She was picturing Mr. Peters laid up somewhere inside, unable to actually get to the door. And so she enlisted the help of some other neighbors to try to get in. 
The group tried all of the doors, tried to open the windows, but everything was locked up tight. Now, I'm going to say, like, me personally, it would be at this point that I would call the police. Like, seems like a logical step uh, or the ambulance or whatever. But Thank no. you, because I was totally thinking of that, too. I'm like, call for a wellness check. Okay. Yeah, but okay. And also, 1941, though. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what is, yeah. we don't know what the systems are like back then. Could you call 911 and have somebody come out to you? What is, what is the procedure, right? They like, did have the phones. It, yeah, I understand that. But, like, you laugh like that. But do you know? You don't really well, know. Well, I'm sure we could find out. But, <laughs> but it's better to speculate wildly. <laughs> It's better to speculate that they should have called the police, but didn't. We don't know. Yeah. They might have thought they were overreacting. If everything was locked, maybe he was out. Yeah. And there was, you know what? It was also a different time in a small neighborhood where there was a lot more of a sense of community. a community amongst neighbors. Over. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this lady had just decided your wife's been going to be away for months. Come over to my house every night for dinner. So, yeah. you know, there was a different kind of sense of community at the time. But either way. They tried unlock opening all the doors and windows and nothing helped. Couldn't get in. So instead of, you know, calling the police, someone had a really bright idea to peel back a corner of one of the window screens. They couldn't get it very wide open, but it was just big enough for a young girl to squeeze through. So she made her way through the window and into the house. And again, I'm going to say this is probably a journey that was re- over and over and over again in the therapist office for the rest of her life um but they send this young girl through and she's wandering for mr peters he wasn't in the living room he wasn't in the kitchen she finally found him in the downstairs bedroom he definitely hadn't slipped and fallen her screams were heard from the outside by all the other gathered neighbors who i assume at this point were questioning their choice of sending a child inside to search for a possibly injured old man (sighs) So there she found him. Bill Peters was dead, lying in a pool of his own blood. Later, police would report that he had over fractures, had been struck 37 times with a blunt object, had bruises and lacerations all over his body, many of which they assumed had been inflicted after he had already passed away. But police weighed in. It was it would be obvious to even an idiot, or in this case, a very unfortunate young child that Mr. Peters had been brutally beaten to death in his own home. Now was the time to call the police. Which <clears throat> but not 911, go- because 911 didn't er- come around in the United States until 1968. That's a fun fact. You're so right. they stood on the corner and screamed, police! Uh, I bet you they would do other things, but before, like, they would call the local police, right? And they yeah. would have to get through, or they would call a sheriff if they knew the sheriff. Yeah. Like, it's it's a different time. Yes. Definitely, definitely. Well, they probably talked to the operator and was like, can you get me the police type of thing? Exactly. Give me the 911. Yeah, yes. there you go. Probably. So, this was the point that they decided, we can't handle this, and called the police, which, I guess, better late than never. Um... When they got to the scene, the police were admittedly baffled. All the entrances were locked from the inside with chains on the door, save for the one that was opened by the young girl. All latched, and the only sign of forced entry was the gap in the window strain that the neighbors admitted they had peeled back. They searched the house thoroughly and found no trace of another soul. Whoever had murdered Mr. Peters 
had apparently also managed to disappear into thin air. <laughs> now, while they didn't find a killer, like, hiding under the bed, they did manage to spot a few things. There were two cast in the kitchen. One was caked in dust, obviously not been moved for years, and the other was miraculously clean, freshly wiped down. They also found a damp kitchen towel spotted in blood. They found Mr. Peter's wallet and watch on a bedside table, ruling out robbery as a possible motive. As said by one of the detectives at the time to the Denver Post the next day, the killer took the time to wash his hands and then wipe off the murder instrument. He could have taken time for a robbery. In the days that followed, police also had a hard time determining any reason someone would kill Mr. Peters. He was a beloved man. He was liked by his neighbors. He was mild-mannered, an avid musician and member of the Denver Guitar Club, where he often gave free guitar and mandolin lessons to local children. They could find no one who would speak ill of him. No enemies lurking in the shadows. If it wasn't a robbery, and there was no revenge angle, they had no idea why he was dead. They had a murder weapon, but no motive, and no feasible way to explain how a killer entered or escaped the crime scene. The case, that at that point was being dubbed the Denver Ghost House slain by local papers, was stalled. And with no further leads, it seemed to investigators that it might just remain completely unsolved. Over the next few weeks, the house sat empty, but strange rumors started to drift around. The house didn't always seem that empty. Many people reported seeing flickering lights and movement in the windows, one woman swore she saw a pale, ghostly face peering out at her through the windows when she was out for a walk in the evening. Was this all hearsay? Figments of a vivid imagination born out of the mysterious circumstances surrounding the murder? Was it possibly a ghost, Mr. Peters, trapped in his former home? Or maybe it was more sinister, and whoever or whatever had killed Phil Peters was still roaming the halls. Whatever it was, it was among those strange rumors that Helen Peters returned home. Her family set her up with a home care nurse. Also, it might have been a housekeeper or both. It's vague. But like well, literally, 40s, literally again, 40s. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that, 40s. At that time, uh, nurses did a lot of housekeeping too. So yep. maybe it was both. I don't know. Because they've everything that I found like either referred to her as a housekeeper or a nurse, a housekeeper and a nurse. Um, I couldn't find a name. I'm sure if I had like more we- like more time to go into it, I probably could have found her name. But the important thing is that Mr. Pe- Mrs. Peters didn't come home alone. She had live and help come in with her. And it quickly seemed like those rumors were going to get stranger. Throughout the time that the nurse stayed at- with Helen, she reported many odd goings on. There were creaks, taps, scratches that sounded like they were coming from inside the walls, Foul odors would waft through the house without any explanation. Things would be moved or just disappear altogether. This went on for weeks. Mm. I feel like the, the... Okay, carry on. No, no, no. Interject. Uh, I feel like this is a story where the killer is in the walls. He never Ooh. left. He stayed inside. And that's why he's stinky because they came home and now he can't bathe anymore. And the poop is in the walls and he can't get out. Oh, poop in the walls. Yeah, well, I mean, walls. you got to think about it. Where are you going to go if everybody is looking? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to go somewhere. you got to go somewhere. Poop in the walls. At least it's not on a desk like good old Herb. No, um, that was pee. He peed on the desk. He should have. Oh. Well, I mean, we joked that he should shit on the rug, but he didn't. Yes, not yes, that we know he of. Ne- he only allegedly shit on the rug. <laughs> By us. We are the yes. only ones we who were, ever We were the ones that. who made that allegation. No. 
one else said it. <laughs> we were not alive during the time. We have never, I have never even seen the mannequins. I'm just saying the shit on the rug, but whatever. Shit on the rug. Carrying them. Anyway. So that's why so, it's stinky. <laughs> the nurse is sitting there. All this stuff. She's hearing all these weird noises, smelling weird things, stuff's going missing. And one night, when she heard the noises again, she decided that this time she was going to in- um, investigate. And she encountered a very strange apparition. Decades later, she recounted her brush with the specter in an article to the Denver Post. It was just a few minutes. I heard a sort of tapping. I'd heard it before, but I thought it was only some woodpeckers. By the time I walked into the kitchen, I saw the door to the stairway that leads upstairs slowly opening. A foot came out, and then I saw a thin hand on the door. I screamed, and the man decked back into the stairwell, and I heard him running. The police were called and immediately searched the home. Like the night of Mr. Peter's murder, they found nothing. Again, every door was locked. The chains were latched. There was no sign of an intruder in the house. The nurse refused to return home. She resigned and returned long live that. She refused to return to the home. She resigned that night, giving the reason that she believed the house was haunted by an evil spirit. Another woman came to help. Again, she was either a hired housekeeper or maybe a friend of the family. Also might have been the original nurse, but there was enough that said that there were two of them. Anyway, another person came and was going to stay with Helen. Um, And again, it didn't take her long before she was experiencing the same things. Noises, moved items, weird odors and within a few weeks she had her own brush with him in the middle of the night she heard something fall down fall over downstairs she decided she was going to investigate the noise at the entrance to the kitchen she saw a ghostly figure she described it as ragged demonic looking dressed in tatters and with spindly limbs and yellowed eyes she screamed and said it disappeared from sight the police were once again home and what was starting to seem like a horrible theme they found nothing out of place not a single uh, sign of an intruder no forced entry it was at this point that helen peters moved in with her son rather than stay in the home that seemed to become um seemed to become oh my gosh she decided to move in with her son (laughs) (laughs) well you know what at this fucking point i would too it stinks nobody else is going to come in there there are rumors that it's fucking haunted this is 1941. Who's going to come now? They're going to... Yeah. Nope, that's it. It's a haunted place. Done. Haunted out. Um, so she's Honestly, like, with good life choice. Like, like, <laughs> let's just say that. Right? I feel like she gave it the good old college try. She hired as many people as would come to the home. Yeah, yeah. And then her son was like, Mom, you know that should be crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... At this point, the house was sitting vacant. Police, however, were less inclined to believe in the whole ghostly haunting theory. Um, And after the second encounter, two detectives were assigned to watch the home to see if they could see the mysterious figure for themselves. Okay. Days passed with nothing, no movement, no lights, and the surveillance was abandoned. Over the next few months, there were the weird, sorry, the weird going on at the Peters home uh, was still repeatedly being reported by neighbors. The flickering lights, noises, smells. One woman even, saw, again, saw space in the window and marched up with a baseball bat ready to attack it themselves, but saw nothing when they got closer. The police continued to check out the house, but it always appeared exactly as, a, as it was supposed to, vacant and abandoned. Hmm. That finally changed on July 30th, 1942. 
Detectives Roy Bloxham and Bill Jackson were outside the Peters' home, and whether they were there specifically to check on the house or just happened to be in the area for another reason, I'm not sure. But regardless, they were outside the supposedly house, that empty house that afternoon. They watched as the postman walked up the front steps to drop off the mail, and at that moment, they saw movement at the living room window. The quickest, yeah, a peek of a face through the curtains. They were out of the car and ran to the house in a flash. They broke down the front door and stood in the entrance, quiet and listening. By all accounts, it still seemed to be a vacant home. But they stayed silent, listening for any movement. And they were rewarded when they heard a click of a door latch upstairs. They raced up and they found the source of the noise, a closet door at the end of the hall. The detectives reached the closet in time to see two bony feet disappearing into a hatch on the ceiling. Bloxham reached up, grabbed feet, and got a, got a hold of one of the ankles. He pulled out a retreating figure. A man fell from the latch, landing crumpled on the floor of the closet. At their feet was the mysterious ghost that had been haunting the Peters' home, a flesh-and-blood man. Yeah. <clears throat> Police Chief James Child was described him as, and this is great, this is, like, one of my favorite things. I'm excited. <laughs> Just because it's weird. Okay. Um, he described him as the strangest looking human I had ever seen. He was a tall man, just under six feet, but thin as a wilted weed. His dirty hair hung low over his ears and was the ugly, unwashed gray of an overcast sky. Ugh. Like, that guy was taking a creative writing class or... <laughs> oh, man. Or they're really trying to paint a picture so that you can see it, too, because it's hard when you don't have, like, a, a, an actual visual representation. We take, yes, we take video for granted so much because this is such a great description. You yeah, can really actually is. see him in your fate in your head, and it's like, ugh, ugh. Oh, okay, oh. gray guy. <laughs> it was a gross gray man. Um, I can see so, how he would be mistaken for like an apparition if he's super skinny he's and skinny really and, gray. Yeah, skinny and gray and ragged. Yeah, you can see why people would be like, oh, Jesus. Ghost! <laughs> Demon! Yeah, yeah. So, when more police arrived, they ended up sending up one particular de- detective, uh, Fred Sarno, who was the smallest officer and the only one who was actually able to shimmy his shoulders through the small hatch inside. Now, again, a little introduction. I, frankly, I'm not surprised, or I'm surprised that they didn't kind of go with the apparent normal course of action, which was to just grab some random child and say, I don't know what you're going to find up there, but you look. So the only reason they didn't is because they found this guy whose shoulders fit. The next course of action after this man was going to be to find a kid on the street and be like, hey, you want to make 10 cents? Or, I mean, that would be like a Billy. I don't know. I'm, my conversion is terrible. They want anyway. In 1980s time. <laughs> 30 meters was a very short distance. Yeah. So anyway... This tiny little detective showed up and they're like, you, sir, you can fit through that hole. And thankfully he was there because it was a school day. So it would have they would have had to wait for ages. So they send him up and he looks through and what he finds is a small scroll- crawl space. Um, they described it as being barely bigger than a coffin, 27 inches high by wide. Oh so pretty tiny. That's like what? Three feet by... 
oh shit conversion uh it's like three by five feet like it's pretty three feet tall yeah and five feet wide yeah Holy. So it was just like, it wasn't even a real attic. It was just like a little crawl space up at the very tippity top of the house. Um, and it had been made into a weird little nest. Uh, there was an ironing board that was covered in rags as a makeshift bed. There was garbage and ripped magazines everywhere. A single light bulb hung from a wire and spider webs webs clung to all the rafters the small space reeked of waste and rot and detective Zarno could only stomach it for a few minutes before he had to back out and vomit oh wow he was overheard uh, by reporters saying a man would have to be a spider to stand stand it long up there hence the denver spider man was born (laughs) the press heard it and ran with it Oddly enough, the police had actually known about that hatch in the closet. They'd come across it in both their original search on the night of Mr. Peter's murder um, and in the two searches that they did after uh, sightings in the house. But but all three times when they tried to open it, the panel wouldn't budge. They thought it was sealed off and paired with the fact that they didn't believe that a fully grown adult could fully fit through there. It Mm. made them dismiss the idea... um, of the attic is an option at all for a hiding spot of course so yeah after months and months of a stalled investigation this was july so this was from october to july they'd had nothing no suspects nothing to go on but they finally had their man phil peter's murderer was caught they had the culprit but they still didn't have a motive motive modem they definitely didn't have a modem it was 1941 taking it back but luckily once they'd arrested the man taken him to the station and fed him a hamburger and some apple pie the denver spider-man was all and willing to talk to police he told them his name it was theodore edwards and he'd been living in the home since september almost a year and no one had known except maybe phil peters <laughs> sorry well. Sylvie, can you uh can you repeat his name it cut off when you said it oh that's that's a worse spot to cut off <laughs> but the whole story is his name was blank um theodore edward coons another theodore Sorry. Theodore was from something else. That was Theodora, right? Yeah, Yeah, Theodora. And that was Wasn't she murdered? Yes. She was not she was a child of H. H. Holmes, right? Yes, the child of H. 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 Holmes. I don't think she died necessarily, but okay, Theodore. So she wasn't murdered because he only killed other people's kids. Yes. Um what a dick. Maybe another time <laughs> issue that we don't. Anyway, <laughs> it's another time issue in eighteen eighties time. Listen, lots of people died. There was lots of murder. Anyway, With cholera. Um, <laughs> so much. They, I, so <laughs> much cholera. Just grossness. <laughs> the past was horrible. So bad. So, so bad. bad. No redeeming qualities. So we've been living in the house since September. Since September. So uh, let's uh, let's figure out was. This strange, demon-y looking, gross, Theodore. stinky man. Who was Theodore? And why did he kill Phil Peters? So, stinky Theodore. 
Stinky Theo. That's why everyone called him Stinky Theo and it made him real mad. Anyway, we'll go back to the very beginning. He was born on November 10th, 1882 in Petersburg, Illinois. He was the son of Canadian hardware store. Sometime after his father died in 1888, Coney's and his mother were uh, moved to Denver. He suffered from poor health as a child and was told by doctors not to expect to see his 18th birthday. As a result, he never finished high school. But it was actually around this time of his life that he met Phil Peters. When he was 17, Coney's met his victim when he became a part of the Denver Guitar uh, and Mandolin Club. They developed a friendship of sorts. In fact, the Peters had invited the young man over into their home on more than one occasion for dinner and guitar lessons, and they continued to occasionally run into each other throughout the rest of their lives. As an adult, after the death of his mother, Coney's drifted around, leaving Denver and traveling from city to city. He worked in a few odd jobs advertising as a salesperson, but because of his poor health and, I mean, also... I'm going to guess a little bit of the Great Depression, because that would have been that time. No kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, Just a that little bit. Also contributed. Um, he had a really hard time managing to keep a steady job, and so he spent most of his adult life homeless. Okay. He returned to Denver in April 1941 and spent the summer sleeping in alleys and surviving on whatever food he could buy for 10 cents a day. In September, as the season started to turn and a chill began to creep into the air, Coney's remembered his old friend and mentor, Phil Peters. He went to that house he'd visited so often in his youth, thinking he could implore on Peters for some money and maybe something to eat. When he got there, there was no one home. It was convenient timing. Phil Peters was actually in, a, in the hospital visiting his wife. Coney's took that opportunity to break into the home, at that point intending to rob the man and raid the kitchen. But then opportunity struck while he was looking around the home for something to steal he found the hatch in the attic it looked like a good place to hole up for the winter he had told detectives i was in bad shape my lungs were giving me a lot of trouble and i was at the end of my rope fall was coming on and i couldn't face another winter on the road i had to have a place to stay i didn't know mrs peters was in the hospital i found the hole in the closet i climbed through and i slept and slept so that's it. Coney's just decided to stay. For five whole weeks, he lived right on top of Phil Peters, with the old man being none the wiser. When wow. Phil Peters... ah, <laughs> creepy, right? When Peters would leave the house, Coney's would slip downstairs to steal food. Just a little bit, here and there, so no one would notice. Yeah. He'd raise their canned goods supply, squirreling it away in his little burrow. Uh, this is crazy to me. He cut into the house's wiring system so he could install an outlet in the attic and built himself a makeshift radio so he could stay in touch with the outside world. That's crazy. Right? Like, like he was settling in. <laughs> like, but also very intelligent. He didn't graduate high school, yet he still knows how to steal electricity and yeah. rewire it so that he can run away the radio. Like, yeah, and there was yeah. a lot of a lot of the stuff I found was talking about like how he was pretty much like a prodigy when it came to the mandolin, which seems like a strange, like you'd think he would have just gone for the guitar, but no, mandolin. So he clearly, he was gross by the time, he wasn't entirely unintelligent. Um, anyway, uh, he had his little his little world that he set up, and he told investigators. Whenever I heard him downstairs, I would just keep real still. 
Then I got bolder. I used to come down and shadow him from room to room. It was a sort of game. It gave me a thrill. It was the first time in my life that I'd ever had anyone at my mercy. But I didn't want to hurt him. Mm. Whoa. Whoa. Mm. Whoa. Uh. <laughs> Don't like. <laughs> ah! Ah! How, how high can we make that noise? Ah! That just sounds <laughs> terrible. It's terrifying. It's like uh. everything in a horror movie you don't want to see because you're yeah. like, turn around, turn around, turn around. Turn and around. Like, you sit there and go, surely you know if someone was there. Like, you but know. You're older. He was there for five weeks. <laughs> so anyway, his little game came to an end on the evening of October 17th, 1941. Conies had thought he'd heard Phil Peters leave the home. And like so many times before, he snuck out of his gross little hidey hole and Ugh. went downstairs. He was in the middle of raiding the icebox when he found out that Peters, who, when he was discovered by Peters, who had not in fact left home, but was just taking a nap. Shit. So, <laughs> yes. So, this poor little old man woke up from his nap, walked into the kitchen to find a gross, disheveled man raiding his fridge. Yeah. Um, a struggle ensued, and Coney's grabbed one of the stove shakers, smashing it over the old man's head. Peters was stunned, but not knocked out. In fact, he used his cane to fend off Coney's and beat him back while he retreated from the kitchen to try to get... Uh, to try to get help. Coney's followed him and, and Peters fell to the ground. Coney's told police that he thought he had just knocked him out and to take some money and leave. But he hadn't knocked him out. He'd just been stunned again. Mm-hmm. So Coney's heard Peters uh, in the bedroom. He then went after him there and just kept bashing him over the head until he was completely still. It was him or me. I don't know if he recognized me. It had been nearly 30 years since he'd seen me last. But when it was over into the attic after I washed and dried the shaker. I was sitting on the trap door. You were pounding on it the night you found him. <laughs> that is so creepy. Of course so, he was. That's why the door wouldn't open. That's why they couldn't get it open because every time he would just sit on it. <sighs> and so the police are like, no, this is sealed. It's real tiny. No one's up there. You know how often it comes down to just police work where they make assumptions? Yeah, they made an assumption, and it was uh, the wrong assumption. Like the I mean, Cecil was... Hotel, right? Yeah. So, and there was there was I mean, in their defense, there were and again, it was 1941. I don't know for sure, but there were different articles and different things that said um, that police thought they were sealed because they were told by Helen Peters that they had never used the attic hatch and she was sure that it was sealed off. Totally. So there is a possibility that they just actually thought it was completely sealed. No, um, they for either sure way, it just, there yeah. was just a gross man sitting on it. Oh, <laughs> a, a murderer. A gross... A, a gross murderer was sitting on it. Who would follow him around for funsies? Like, for a thrill. Well, I mean, he was staying in a three-by-five room for how long? <laughs> what else I, you got? What else? Like, nine, yeah. Only from, for five weeks, right? And within five weeks, he went crazy enough to follow this guy around. <laughs> well, it would have been less than that, because he said he started off being real still, but it didn't take long for him to get bolder and start following him around. So who knows wow. how long he was doing that? 
He probably oh. liked the exercise. He's like, yeah, I that's true. Spider legs are getting tired um, and cramped. But, like, that's the part that, like, creeps me out. Like, all of it's creepy. Someone living in your walls, creepy. Uh, but the fact that he'd, like, come down and just follow him from room to room. Yep. Ugh. I wonder. I wonder if this inspired uh, the X Files um, thinner episode. The guy that could like go through the grates. I'll squeeze, and we shall never mention it. <laughs> that one doesn't exist. It never happened. <laughs> that is the worst fucking thing. No, but there is actually um, a whole bunch of like different episodes of different TV shows, like crime shows and whatnot, yeah. that were based off of this case in particular well the going in and then never leaving yeah 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 definitely yeah you've definitely it's the reason why it might sound a little familiar is because it's been all every show or thing that you think of where you're like i think i've heard this story yeah based it off of this totally Um, there was criminal minds that was like this i think yeah and a csi uh, even a brooklyn (laughs) 99 Yeah, there was a Simpsons episode for God's sakes, right? Um, yep. It was all kind of based off of this, uh, but yeah. So there you have it. That was their motive. Uh, Theodore Coney's had murdered his unwitting benefactor when he was discovered. Um, oddly, though, the big weird thing. So all of that was weird, but to me, the one of the weirder things is that he chose to just stay in the home. He murdered someone, and rather than leave. He continued his nighttime ventures for food, being spotted twice on his midnight haunts, fueling all the rumors of an evil ghost prowling the halls. He told the police, it was miserable hot in the summer, and my feet froze in the dead of the winter in that attic. But it was all part of the price I was willing to pay. I can't tell you why I stuck it out. I guess it was mostly because I had a world all my own. I used to go down and look out the windows and watch the postman come by. Nobody's written to me in 25 years. Whenever I saw people on the street, I hated them, and I would go back to my attic. <sighs> so even even when the house was empty and he had the option of maybe sleeping on a floor, he, he stayed still chose in the, the attic. attic. Yeah, in he the stayed room in that, the... that the guy couldn't even stay in because it stank so bad. Yeah, he stayed there. Oh, um, So armed <sighs> with this full confession, it shouldn't be a surprise that Theodore Conies was convicted of the murder on October 30th, 1942, and sentenced to life imprisonment. Upon hearing his sentence, Coney was quoted as saying, Now I feel safe. I'll have a better home than I've had in years. He spent the rest of his life in Canyon City Prison until his death in 1967. And that's it. That's the end of the story of Denver Spider-Man, an odd, troubled, stinky man who had fallen through the cracks and who lived like a ghost for nine months. Yay! Gross. (laughs) Isn't it? creepy it's so creepy and then like you hear about this like the first time i heard about it again it was the following from like room to room freaked me the f out um but then like you get sent in a rabbit hole because you're like okay it happened but like it can't happen that often um it happens a lot guys like yeah it happened like a couple years ago somebody caught a woman on camera coming out of a closet and stealing food and she'd been like living in his apartment with him for months 
Uh, yeah, there, so there was, there was a woman in Japan. Yeah. Um, a man, like, was, like, noticing food going missing, and he had set up, like, a CCTV camera thing and saw a woman climbing out of, like, a cupboard in in his kitchen, eating food and then crawling back in. And when uh, he saw the movement, he had it set up to go to his phone, like, when, when there was movement in the house. Yeah. So he thought he was being broken into, and he called the police, and they found her as she, kind of the same thing, as she was going back into her little hidey hole. <laughs> um, and it turns out she had been living there for a year like a homeless lady and it wasn't the first time she was done it she'd done it it was the first time like she had been in his house for a year wow um there was another one a guy named joe cummings in new york uh so same sort of thing he found like food was going missing and him and his girlfriend kept getting in fights over like who was eating the cheetos Um, absolutely that would would. i'd be like (laughs) i swear to god there was milk the last time now there's (laughs) Yeah, stop you, putting the empty cart back in the fridge. One gulp, <laughs> man. One gulp. <laughs> yeah, I, I can hear the arguments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this had been going on for like a few weeks. And so he did the same thing. He set himself up with a camera. Uh, and in this video, he saw this woman crawling out of like this really high like cabinet thing um, that was above like above the, the stove. Um, and then this is great. Again, maybe taking a book out of good old Herb's uh, playbook, taking a page out of his playbook. Uh, in the video, she crawls out, pees in his sink, helps herself to some food, watches in TV, and then crawls back into the little little cupboard. Um, Why not the toilet? Probably because it would have alerted them. She's like, ah, I'm just gonna go pee here. Um, there was also, and this one I thought was like a crazy one. It was in Ohio State at the like Ohio State University. There were a group of students who were living off campus um, in like this little house, and they all kind of initially joked about how they had a ghost because they'd find cupboards open, um, like the oven open, microwave open, foods going, food going missing, things like that. Uh, Joked that point. they had a ghost. I would be convinced at this point. Yeah. Would it's like, a ghost. Why are the cupboards open again? Or that like people were fucking with me just because yeah, like those are the only two options. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously not. Fucking with me, or there's a ghost. Or as it turns out, there was a locked door in the basement um, that they had been told was like a utility closet. Like that was all that was down there. Um, so finally, because they kept hearing noises and knocked the door down, and they found a bedroom that was like completely lived in. Like, there was a bed, there was photographs, there were textbooks. So, there was this young guy, like a student named Jeremy, who also attended the uh, university, and he, like, he had lived there previously. Um, and when his roommates left, he just went downstairs and stayed and they'd never changed the locks in between tenants so he could still get into the house and just lived in the basement. That's terrifying. And, uh, yeah, so he was, like, evicted. And it's funny, they actually, like, actually facilitated, like, him leaving, like, they 
contacted him, like got him his stuff, talked to him, and they're like, in the end, they're like, well, we were lucky. Actually, a pretty cool guy. <laughs> but oh. it could have been, been quite dangerous. And then, yeah, another one where a woman in South Carolina, uh, after her kids kept saying they were hearing, like they were hearing someone in the walls, um, so they discovered that her ex who had been in prison for the last like 12 years was living in the attic for like months and he had broken into the house gone into the attic and like had kind of rigged like the the vent so he could stare at her from the attic in her bedroom stop it it's that like is so development, creepy but creepy horrible yeah people are weird man and so like that's kind of where i stopped on the rabbit hole <laughs> Fair. Of, like, how many things but there are like if you google like unknown roommate you will find so many and not just like the oh here's a reddit thread about this and that's like actual news stories about the number of times people find someone living in their walls in their attic in their garage Wow. Makes you think, because, like, I think a lot of people have this assumption, like, you know, your home is where you're safe, Mm, right? Like, it's your space. And, like, yes, someone can get into your space, you know? So, obviously, people have been attacked at home, killed at home, all this kind of stuff. But there's this idea that, like, somehow, to me, it's more pervasive or pervasive, perverted. (laughs) Um that someone was just living there without you knowing and then following you around shadowing you room to room like just uh... like just as you said for fucking funsies shits and giggles like come on literal shits and giggles because it could obviously this person is um disturbed in ways that we uh did this there's like another quote of his did Theodore go to World War One? I? I didn't see anything about that, but I don't. I mean, how could they? I guess it would depend on um, so let me try to do some math. He was born in 1882. Right. He would have been 30. Yeah. Well, in his 30s for the war. In his 30s <clears throat> for the war. He could have. I didn't, they didn't have any anything about him being like drafted into the war but if he was a drifter where would like especially in the 40s if if you didn't have a home if you didn't work or live somewhere like there was no record of you you were just that's true yeah that's very true right so i don't i don't think so nothing was mentioned about that that i could find um, but like, there's another quote from him that I, I didn't write down, um, where he said something like, like, Peters didn't have to die. He like, it was something like Phil Peters didn't have to die that night. If he had just gone out like he did all the other times, I would have been happy staying there forever. Like, <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, like, clearly he was like troubled. Not well. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, but but even homelessness itself can can cause um, mental health issues that would yeah, lead to stuff right? like that. Well, it is like a, a re- repeated lifetime of trauma, mm-hmm. so understandable that it would cause some, you know, behavioral some issues. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. it would. You know, it could cause a, a few a few problems. Absolutely. But yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. Anyway. That's a really cool story, Sylvie. Thanks for sharing it. You wrote it really well. It was intriguing. It was dark and mysterious and uh, very well presented. Oh, that's yeah. That's yeah, I liked it too. Yeah, it was yes, good. yes, good old, good old creepy Denver Spider Man. No, kidding. I also like I like the the name. Like after everyone, like all these things. I mean, it could have been that he was like all gangly and long limbed, like a spider. But no, it was just some some poor tiny cop. Specifically. Some poor tiny cop who I feel like was brought in only so because he was the only one who could fit. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Yep. I and even that. then, it's like the way they described it in like everything that I found, even then it wasn't even like he fully went in. He like could get his upper body through. Ugh. That's and like so looked yucky. around, they took some pictures, and then he was like, "Mom, gonna hurl my guts out now." Absolutely. Did are uh-huh. there pictures of it? Yeah, yeah, there wow, are. Wow, that's so cool. I'm gonna look that up because I would love to see what this looks like. I'm picturing it the three by five room. It's like, you know, it's like a because it was that it's like an older house with like a little peak ceiling, so it's like a little triangular. Like, so it would have only been three feet at the, like, apex of the triangle. Wow, cool. That just sounds so claustrophobic. Right? But he was pretty happy up there. Like, again, that whole, like, even when he could, in theory, have full reign of the house, he just stayed in his little attic. I also, just, like, a shout-out, and I didn't write her name down, but I did find it at some point. Um, After like Helen Peters had left the home the neighbor who thought she saw something and thought fuck this shit and got a baseball bat (laughs) (laughs) and like went and started pounding on the doors like that lady's a fucking hero yeah absolutely she's a pioneer woman she's like I'm not put up with no shit (laughs) stop scaring the children what the fuck is wrong with you clearly not clearly not a ghost I'm going to fuck shit up. Even if it was, she was going over there protecting yeah, herself. She, she's like, I don't care what it is. I she's like, you. fuck this noise. I'm done with it. Here's yep. my baseball bat. I'm going <laughs> to smash you. You're a uh, bitch. <laughs> get out. <laughs> get out. Yeah, yeah. I'm also not going to lie. I definitely had to search up what the fuck a stove shaker was. Because mm. <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, yes, that's like it would do it but what is it like a cast iron frying pan um yeah that's yeah that's what you described it as right well it was like um like a thing that was attached to a grate kind of that you'd put over anyway oh yeah okay i could see that yeah Yeah. on like a, a wood stove 
Yeah, or like an older stove. Like it was a an iron stove. Like an old, an old timey 1880s stove. Because they bought the house in like, I don't know, 1882 or something like that. Like some long, long time ago. It was old timey. Yeah, it was a 60-year-old house in the 40s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was old. Wow. So, but I was like, the fuck is a stove shaker? Cool. Yeah. I mean, that cool that he got beaten to death with it, that sounds pretty terrible. And the fact that he didn't die right away and kept, like, trying to... Well, and, like, the he was a tough old man. No he was, they said that They said that, like, he fended him off with, like, multiple canes. Like, he kept picking up, like, canes and walking sticks and trying to beat him back. Wow. Good job, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the sad moment where you're, like, you hear him say, like, I thought I had knocked him out. I was just going to steal some money and get out of there. Mm. And then, yeah. Anyway, poor old man. What a tough old man. No wonder he was friends with the bat wielding neighbor. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. My sucks. money's on it was her who was like, just send him the kid. They'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe it was her kid. Buddy <laughs> <laughs> Joe, crawl through that hole. <laughs> yeah he probably just fell down the stairs he's just hurt somewhere maybe he's got a broken leg run in there go on find him it's all good it's fine you'll be fine poor kid definitely going to therapy except probably not because it was the 1940s so she probably just tried to deal with that the best way that anybody knew how and that was to bury her emotions way down deep inside yeah way way down oh he wasn't he also because at that point he was like almost 60 so he also wasn't young no no he was not (laughs) but he was almost six feet tall living in that teeny tiny space yeah they said he was 135 pounds Uh, so So like like he was just a male in the machinist yeah like so this like he's almost six feet tall and like 135 pounds that is a that is a skinny bones. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Anyway. Blah, blah, blah. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So scary. Someone's living in my walls. I definitely have some cupboards I can't reach. I think that there was someone in there, but I'm a check. And with that, we are done discussing the very interesting story of the Denver Spider-Man. Please join us next week when we are talking about Dr. Stephen Greer and, the, and his Disclosure Project.